Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Wednesday, June the 21st. It is just a couple minutes after 8.30 in Texas, America. We had a little technical glitch. Sometimes Rumble gives us a challenge. There was no audio coming through. So thanks so much for sticking with us. Uh, folks, I'm going to go ahead and tell the people in the live chat, refresh if you have not already, and then you'll get us here. Folks, we're going to be talking about Calvin Ball today. Calvin Ball is from the famous Calvin and Hobbes cartoon. It was a comic strip, and it has to do with when things get boring in life, I guess you can just change the rules and you make a game that doesn't make sense based on the last game. We're going to talk about all of that. First, I want to get a quick thank you into our sponsors. Let's start off right now with Catholic Vote. Folks, you are aware Catholic Vote is an organization. They are America's top Catholic advocacy organization, and they are in the fight for faith, family, and freedom. Coincidentally, I found out that faith, family, and freedom are the same exact mottos that uh, that uphold the little town that I live in, Liberty Hill, Texas, outside of Austin, Texas. So it's uh, kind of coincidental and fortuitous. These folks are doing something great with the loop. You can go ahead and sign up for their email, uh, and that will get you a morning sort of update on what's going on in this country. I actually looked at it doing my show prep today, and they have a lot of the same exact stuff that I am talking about in there. They have multiple articles talking about Hunter Biden's uh, gun situation, which we're going to get into in long form. They have some information about what's going on in the trans movement and people trying to push certain uh, trans rights and also some of these doctors that are getting involved in cutting off body parts of young children, sort of the uh, atrocities that we are dealing with in our day. So check them out. Again, The Loop is an email available by catholicvote.org. You can go and sign up on their website. And then uh, while we're talking about it, let's talk about my other friends over at Patriot Coolers. You can go to patriotcoolers.com using promo code KYLE, K-Y-L-E, and you will be able to get 10% off. Again, K-Y-L-E gets you 10% off on any of their fantastic products. I am using one right now. In fact, I've got one right next to me. My Gen 1 black tumbler, which I took on surveillance with me when I was working for the FBI. Uh, it's gone with me in at least 18 states, I think. I lost count, but it goes everywhere. I'll be taking it with me to New Hampshire when I go up to visit, uh, sit down at the Porcupine Festival with Vivek Ramaswamy. You can expect to see that on stage next to me, keeping hydrated. And they also have fantastic hard coolers. These are things that are going to rival um, folks like Yeti, Arctic, and so on. Except they say Patriot on the side of them, just like you. They've got 13 stripes, a patriotic design. They give money back to vets, and they support the Kyle Serafin Show. Again, promo code KYLE, K-Y-L-E, will get you 10% off. And let's get rolling. You can see the live chat has been going nuts uh, for about the last 30 minutes or so. Uh, we've got people coming in from spin class. We've got people that are hyped up and they are interested in watching. We've got over 158 watching right now live. So, folks, if you are in the live chat, please hit that thumbs up, the like button. If you are listening on the replay, two things you can do. You can drop us a comment if you are watching on Rumble. 
And if you are listening on the audio replay on one of those devices, whether it be Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, so on, leave us a five-star review, and we'll try to get to read them on the uh, on the show. But more importantly, it really does bump us up in the ranks and the rankings, and it is highly appreciated. That is what we do for this content. So let's launch into what in the world are we talking about? Let's talk about Calvin Ball, the Episode is entitled Calvin Ball because this was a game invented by Calvin and Hobbes. That's the famous little boy who wears a mask, runs around with his friend, the tiger, an imaginary friend, and they come up with all kinds of shenanigans and they give us lessons about what goes on in life. Now, the story of Calvin Ball is one where Calvin got bored with organized sports. He got bored with all the games that were going on, so he created his own game. Obviously, his name is Calvin, and he named it after himself. And the rules are quite simple. We've got it up on the screen right here. Calvin and Hobbes has a fan Wikipedia page or a fan wiki. And what they say is that the rules can never be used twice. The only rule is that the rules cannot be used twice. That's the only rule of the game. They're made up as it goes every single time. And so many of you will remember this was something that could get uh, dropped into any of the strips. Talks about the fact that they may involve wickets or mallets or volleyballs or additional sports-related equipment. Once again, the only thing is, is that you have to change the rules. And the one that's shown right here is one where Calvin is running from his buddy Hobbs, the Tiger. He's got a, uh, a flag hanging out of his hand, just like you'd have in flag football. And he says, I stole your flag. But then you've got Calvin in the back saying, aha, but I hit you with the Calvin ball. You have to put the flag back and sing the I'm very sorry song. So none of it has to make sense. This is the world that we're living in right now. We are living in a time and a space where the rules are getting made up as they go. And what are we talking about? What rules? Yesterday in breaking news and very exciting news, we finally got justice. Americans were able to see justice in real time that all of the powerful are held to account, not just Donald Trump, not just a man who had documents that may or may not have been classified and were defense-related at his private residence. No, the crack-smoking, prostitute-enjoying son of our current president a 50-plus-year-old man who is treated like a toddler by the national media. Here is Hunter Biden finally going to pay the piper, going to finally um, meet his, his match when it comes to paying for his misdeeds. And so we can all feel good about it, except we're playing Calvin Ball. And so this article right here comes from The Federalist. It's written by Jordan Boyd, and uh, it is entitled, Hunter Biden's Wrist Slap on Gun and Tax Crimes is a Complete Smokescreen. And what we see there is a, a photograph, which is coming from the White House's feed. It's Joe Biden with his hand in the air, swearing in as president. And he is, uh, you know, on either side, he has his wife. And there is Hunter Biden, his son, the maybe former crackhead man who claims he's smoked Parmesan cheese out of his carpet. Everything about that is sort of nauseating. This article is saying that many Americans will be put behind bars for the exact same charges that we see Hunter Biden receiving, and yet he's getting off relatively scot-free. So I'm going to read a little bit of it. We're going to talk about it pretty much the entire show because this is the biggest thing going on right now, and it is the biggest reveal. I think it's the biggest sort of drop of the veil, and uh, and I'll tell you why I think they're doing it as well. So it says President Joe Biden's corrupt Justice Department is so desperate to distract from the Americans' expose of the Biden family bribery scandal. That's what this is all about. We're dropping the talk about bribery so we can talk about Hunter Biden's tax evasion 
and his gun charges. Uh, serving under the guise of equal justice, the Justice Department has announced Tuesday that it would charge the youngest son with two federal misdemeanors. No federal misdemeanors. We know that from January 6th means you get to go to jail for years and maybe await a trial or not. And Ked, you could also just uh, get away with it completely and just have somebody else pay your taxes. Apparently, Hunter owed more than a million dollars in back taxes. He's somehow been able to work out a deal where he's going to pay $200,000 of that. And he was also charged with one federal felony count for possession of a gun while being an illegal drug user and addict. Uh, the Biden lawyers are scrambling and they are declaring this a five-year investigation resolved. It is over. It is done with. And uh, as my buddy Garrett O'Boyle says, the Ministry of Justice has uh, basically said that the resolution suggests the prosecutors could not find cause to file charges against Hunter's foreign dealings or other wrongdoings. Apparently, that laptop, which was uh, made public by the, uh, the, the, the Mac store, this guy um, who was in Delaware and received a drunken Hunter Biden laptop that he made public. Um, Marco Polo has done great work. In fact, my buddy who's an FBI agent sends me a link and asks me if I've bought the Hunter Biden laptop in uh, in book format over and over again. I told my wife that this morning. We uh, we keep getting these text messages. Hey, have you bought uh, Marco Polo the book of Hunter Biden's laptop? No, I don't want that at my house. I've got little kids. I can't be putting out there. Anyway, nothing could be further than the truth when it comes to the uh, the wrongdoings or the foreign entities, because we are actually seeing in real time that the Republicans, including uh, James Comer, are investigating and they are trying to run down the sources of money. They're trying to decide what sort of evidence is available. And uh, apparently the Justice Department or the Injustice Department, the Ministry of Justice, are more than happy to try to put this thing to bed with what's going on. So let's let's kind of see. The, this article was talked about a, a smokescreen. I want to pull up a thing. This is a, a tweet from Vivek Ramaswamy. I'm going to be meeting him at the end of this week on Saturday in person. We'll be sitting on a stage and discussing how to defang the administrative or the deep state at Porcupine Festival. And so uh, I've been kind of seeing what he's been saying. Uh, I'll tell you this. I have some very diverse circles, uh, interesting types. I talked to Joe Pags last night about this. I talked to uh, Owen Schreier from InfoWars, and everybody has the same exact statements about Vivek Ramaswamy. He's saying all the right things. He's saying the right things that make sense to those of us who are looking for you know, some honesty, some sanity. That doesn't mean that he's going to be a front-runner candidate. It doesn't mean that he's going to, uh, to take over the spot from from President Trump in the primaries. But I do love the fact that he is introducing the right information, the right questions into the debates. And that is incredibly important. That's why we have primaries, folks. That's why primaries have to exist. You're supposed to suss out what the platform is. And Vivek Ramaswamy is doing excellent work in that case. We'll just say here, he says, uh, the Hunter Biden plea deal is a joke. It's a feigned retreat. And it reveals that they are more scared than ever of the scrutiny for the real crimes. 100% agree with this. He says the real target is the audio tapes of the alleged bribe for Hunter and Joe Biden from the Ukrainian executive of the oligarchy uh, owned Burisma and hundreds of billions of U.S. taxpayer dollars are being kicked into Ukraine to make good on this favor. Don't buy the reflection. It's just a smokescreen. Again, that word, the smokescreen, pretty important and uh, it's worth us considering. So some commentary has been done on the right. Uh, particularly, I like what the, the take is by this guy named Brett Tolman. Brett Tolman is a former United States attorney, and he did the work of making charging decisions like this, particularly in what would be known as a sensitive investigative matter. 
and the Bidens are no, most certainly that. He's a public figure. And so there's additional scrutiny on how the case is done. It's got to be buttoned up in a certain way. But um, in this case, his statement is it's letting you know that there is, in fact, a two-tiered system of justice, that Calvin ball. They're making it up as they go along. And Tolman's article, this is also from The Federalist, says, Hunter's, uh, it says Hunter Biden's charges are nothing but a diversion. This was written, uh, looks like yesterday, and came back out. They're saying it's a slap on the wrist. I think that's really correct. This is a metaphorical slap on the wrist because he's being basically charged with misdemeanors, which, as we've noted, could involve actual jail time, apparently, under the new DOJ rules, uh, but not for Hunter Biden. And then also a felon in possession charge. And I want to talk about the felon in possession charge for just a second. Um, essentially, Hunter Biden is accused of buying a handgun. In this case, it was a 38 revolver. Uh, and to get nothing into the possible state charges of abandoning property and leaving it near a school and all the other things. And then also the possibility that the federal government got involved in that investigation to help the Bidens and cover it up, which is a real serious allegation and a real possibility that this happened. But let's just take the buying of a firearm um, while he was a prohibited person. And so how does that work out? If you've never bought a firearm, and I'm sure there's some of you that have not, um, some of you have only inherited them. Some of you just don't own firearms, and that's okay. You go into a gun store. You pick out the thing you want, and that could also happen at a um, at a gun show, by the way. If there is an actual licensed dealer, this is someone who has what's called an FFL, a federal firearms license. They can transfer that weapon to you under certain circumstances, and one of those circumstances are there's a certain state laws. There may be state background checks, but there's always what's known as Form 4473. And the 4473 is the federal firearms background check. Most people who have bought a gun are familiar with it. I um, I will say that I've done it over 100 times. It is a form that I am very, very familiar with. You put in your name. You put in your identifiers. That's going to be your address, where you currently live. They want to know the county that you live in. That's also important. It used to be more important because they looked at the sheriff of where you lived, the county you lived as the, what they call Clio, the chief law enforcement officer. And so sometimes there may be prohibitions they'd have to notify in, uh, apparently in Washington state, our friend Mark Kreider, who's a sheriff up there in Walla Walla County, gets a, a notification for every single gun that's bought in, uh, in Washington state in his county. And they mail it over to him, and then he puts it in the shredder because he doesn't want to keep those records because he's a constitutional sheriff that believes in what he actually signed up for. He's also a former FBI agent. So like I said, there were some good ones for sure. And Mark is one of those. Now, when you get that 4473, you fill it out, and there's a number of different statements you have to make. You have to say what your weight is. You have to say what your height is. You say what your eye color is. You have various personal descriptors. There's not a photograph. They allow you to put on your Social Security number, which you can choose to do or not. That's optional. If you are a, uh, I think if there's even a space for like a legal alien, if you have a green card, you can actually fill in all these little places. So you kind of work down it, and then they have the series of go, no, go questions. And these are the ones that they are going to run against the NCIC, the, uh, the federal... Um, warrant system to see if you are a felon, if you have a, uh, a prohibition from owning a firearm, and they make this quick call. It takes a few seconds, and they come back with an answer, yes, you're good to proceed or not. And those questions are as follows. They are asking, number one, is this a straw purchase? Are you buying this gun for yourself? Or are you buying it on behalf of someone else? If you're buying it for someone else and they are the final end user, you cannot proceed. You're only allowed to buy firearms and, and do the background checks for yourself. This is the so-called girlfriend loophole that you'll hear about in the news media. This is the straw man purchase, which is actually a felony. If you choose to buy a gun and you lie on that part, that's a felony. It's not just a false statement. It's actually a felony specifically 
um, called a straw man purchase where you are buying on behalf of someone else. And then there's some other questions on there. They ask you, um, are you a fugitive from justice? You can imagine the answer is going to be no, because who's going to admit to being a fugitive of justice? Um, and that would include federal warrants, which are known as unlawful flight to avoid prosecution or UFAP warrants. It would also include state charges. All these things are supposed to be in there. But this is not a polygraph. It's not a lie detector test. Okay, when you fill out this form, there's some of it is scouts honor because there's some parts of it that are not going to be uploaded into the FBI system when they do the background check. So they just have a basic record of a time and an answer to a specific question. That's really important. They ask you some other questions. Are you a prohibited person? Do you have a domestic violence or a domestic battery conviction that would eliminate it? Are you subject to a red flag law? Uh, in another state, there's there's all these little kind of pieces in there that would keep you from owning a firearm. And one of them asks specifically, are you a user of illicit narcotics? Are you a user of illegal drugs? And this is the question that is the quote unquote false statement, which is uh, found under 18 USC 1001. It is the weakest felony in the DOJ's arsenal. It is the thing that they charged General Flynn with. And we'll get into that in a second. It's the thing they charged Andy McCabe with. And 1001 is the false statement, not just to the FBI, not just to any federal law enforcement officer, whether they work for DHS or the Commerce Department or they work for the VA's inspector general. These are all possibilities of getting a false statement charge. But it also includes falsely filling out a federal document with a false statement that you know is false. Now, why is Hunter in trouble is because he wrote a memoir that came out, I want to say in 2021, stating that he basically was uh, struggling his whole life, his adult life, under a, um, a cocaine addiction or crack cocaine addiction. And during that time, when he was crawling around on the carpets and smoking anything that looked like it might be a crack rock, including Parmesan cheese that fell off of his pizza, his words, not mine, um, he also bought this firearm. He bought the firearm and he filled out the 4473. And the only way that you get that firearm is you have to answer that you are not, in fact, someone who is under the influence regularly or an addict to illicit drugs. So now we have his public statement in his book conflicting with a statement that he swore and attested was correct. And that was, you know, an accurate statement when he filled the form out. You have to sign your name at the end of it. You swear to test, you put a date just like anything else, and then you're hold account held accountable to it. So that's part one. He's got a false statement. But the other thing is, is that actually owning a firearm, having one on your person, being able to carry one and having one in your possession is another felony. That's known as a felon in possession. Um, even, you know, it falls under the same statutes. It's under uh, 18 USC 922. And we use those charges very, very frequently in federal law enforcement. It's felons who have a state conviction. It's people who are otherwise prohibited. And that includes habitual drug users. I'm going to give you an example from New Mexico. <clears throat> While I was in New Mexico, the assistant United States attorney, who was a very aggressive prosecutor and um, and wanted to see certain people who had been able to skirt and get away with uh, a number of federal crimes without charging, was able to charge an individual that was arrested for having a single round of 22 long rifle. Those of you who know what I'm talking about and shooting, you know, 22 long rifle is probably the cheapest ammunition you can buy. It goes for anywhere from, you know, two to seven cents per round, and it's very lightweight. It's what most people learn how to shoot with. This guy, in this case, had exactly one round, a single round of 22 long rifle in a pocket, but he also was a habitual drug user who admitted to it, 
And he, I believe he was using methamphetamines at the time, had paraphernalia and maybe even some meth in his uh, possession when he was arrested. Because of that single round, he was charged with felon in possession because the statute covers not just firearms, but also ammunition. And the ammunition in this case, one round was enough to put him up for a felony of up to 10 years in prison. I'm sure he didn't do anywhere near that, just so you know. But you can actually charge based on the ammunition, and you don't have to have a felony conviction. You can be a prohibited person who, in this case, like Hunter Biden, admitted to being a drug addict and then having that firearm. So that's a bigger felony than the false statements. But I want you to kind of consider how easily he was getting taken off the, uh, you know, taken off the charge here. Now, I want you to contrast this to people who are law-abiding citizens. I've got a video that I want to show you. This is what happens if you're a law-abiding citizen who is a who's broken no rules, no laws, except what the ATF has generated on its own. This is a long video, so we're not going to watch all of it. But some of you may remember this, this story from Moonlight Industries. And this guy's going to tell you exactly who he is and who's going to come in and bother him about it. So let's take a look at this video of the ATF confronting someone who's not a felon, who's not a prohibited person, is a person in good standing, and is in fact in the firearms industry. So here we go. Hi, I own the company Moonlight Industries. Okay. Oh, really? So we make like low visibility. Oh, really? We specialize in like, uh, right now we have a contract with SEAL Team 6 actually. Okay. We make their uh, like low visibility MP7 rigs. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. So were you expecting us? Uh, well, what didn't surprise me when I saw a guy in a plague carrier showing up. So <laughs> well, got the Ultima OTBs on. So. Yeah, no. Um, so the reason why we're here is because um, I don't know. I'm sure you're aware that just recently the ATF um, classified the uh, FRTs, the the force sure. reset triggers, mm -hmm. um, as. Um, I want to stop it right there for one second. First of all, you notice the guy in the plate carrier with the blue shirt is looking down at his feet. The shoes that this uh, that this individual who's filming with his uh, his cell phone camera is calling out. He called out those Ultima OTBs. I don't know if you caught it in the audio, but this guy is wearing a plate carrier that says police. He's obviously an ATF agent. He's got some sleeve tattoos, um, probably a prior military guy, just based on the way he's standing and what he's got. The Ultima OTBs. I own a pair of those shoes as well. They're um, they're an actual shoe that is designed for what's called OTB missions or over the beach. They are a very popular military style, almost like Converse All Stars. That's kind of how they fit, and they have drainage in them. They're actually made to be worn inside of a fin. They have short and flat laces. If you can actually see in the video, the laces are extremely flat so that they don't actually ride in and cause um, you know calluses or injuries when you put on a, a set of like rocket fins. So they're for dive missions. So they're kind of a cool guy shoe. And he called this guy out exactly for that. And this guy is like looking down. He's wearing cool guy uh, sh sunglasses as well. So I just find that kind of amusing. Um, he's letting people, these two agents know that he knows exactly what they are, how he sized them up. And I think it's one of those classic moves where he's, he's demonstrating his knowledge of both the firearms industry, but also he knows why this guy chose those shoes, what he's wearing, you know, how he got himself decked out. And, uh, and maybe this guy who's, who's got the sunglasses that's sitting on the left-hand side of the screen is embarrassed a little bit. I hope so, because I would be ashamed if somebody called out exactly what I was wearing and, you know, that I'm there to basically, uh, try to confiscate forced reset triggers, which are definitely not machine guns, but the ATF has ruled that they are. Oh, we're going to continue with the video. As uh, machine guns. Yeah. So we are aware that you may have purchased some of these FRTs. Okay. So now we are having, like, the whole agency has, has um, is basically reaching out to these purchasers. That's incredible. And yeah. uh, we have incredible. to... Uh, 
pick them up. <laughs> you know, they're okay. illegal. So, so I won't um, be answering any questions today. Um, I don't have any comments on this subject. Uh, I won't be uh, giving you anything. Okay, so you... Um, are, are you refusing to give us the trigger? I'm not refusing anything. I won't be answering any questions. Okay. Um, but, okay, so we are aware that you do you did purchase FRTs. Again, you wouldn't be in trouble if you just give those up to us. Or okay. if you sold them, you can tell me you sold them. Sure. You know, okay. and you, again, you're not going to be in trouble for that. I understand. So um, we're just here, honestly, like, just to pick them up. Sure, sure. <laughs> it's a bigger, it's a bigger conversation than what you're having right now. You know, you, you decide as you go the rules, right? So he gets into his discussion about the ATF in this case, and uh, and I think that unfortunately he says more than he needs to, but he's not going to talk about that particular topic. This is the right thing to say, by the way, and then end the conversation. For those of you who are wondering, hey, how do I do this sort of thing? You shut it down right there. That's where it ends. Um, but what we're seeing is a very aggressive enforcement action. These people came out to the house for the FRTs. They've sent letters to my friends who are federal agents that bought these products. Um, I don't want to get into specifics about it, but it, it, it's completely indiscriminate. And they've had similar rulings where they've decided things that are not true. They're just not. There's no factual findings that make any sense. The ATF has a bunch of lab nerds that go out there and write up a rule. And then because of the Administrators Procedures Act, they're able to act like it is, in fact, a law and enforce it. But it's not. Uh, you can see that when this guy said, it's incredible that you're out here doing this, the agent that you see on the left-hand side of that screen with the uh, with the green sunglasses, the male, he looks down at his feet and he says, yeah, it is incredible. I'm sure he's ashamed of what he's doing, and yet he's still out there. So this is my plea to federal law enforcement officers. When you are given an order like this that's illegal, immoral, or unethical, your job is going to be two things. One, you should try to refuse it. If you are not going to refuse it and you are going to go out there and talk to these people, you should be doing exactly the right thing by saying, I've been sent out here by my agency and I'd like to talk to you about this thing. Would you like to talk to me? And you need to be shaking that head. Because there is no reason that person should talk to you. You should say, would you like to speak to me about this particular topic today? Because you have every right to tell me to go away, and I'd be happy to do so if that's what you say. And then go jot that down in your book. You can put in uh, subject you know, of the interview, decline to make a statement, and that's it. No further information, no further investigative activities are warranted. And for those of you who wonder, when you don't engage with this person, like this female agent is out there explaining that she's just going to uh, take away... Well, I'll show this one more time. She's going to, uh, there's the guy kind of looking not real pleased with himself. Um, when the female agent says that she's just there, you're not going to be in any trouble. One, I don't believe you because you're the ATF and the things you say don't make any sense. And thing number two, you're not going to be in any trouble if you're Hunter Biden and the rules don't apply to you. But there's certainly a possibility that they decide to come after you for criminal prosecution because what they are alleging and what they are claiming with this particular ruling is that by owning a device that was legally sold in the United States that was determined by the laboratory division prior to not be a machine gun because it's not a machine gun. There's a very specific definition of what a machine gun is, and this uses what's called force reset technology. It's essentially placing a spring in the right place. It's very much like what a bump stock did instead of using inertia. It uses a spring, but the mechanism is using engineering to overcome the machine gun definition that is in federal law. It is a brilliant way of getting around this sort of thing. And when I say getting around it, the law has a specific definition, and this doesn't meet that definition because it has a similar rate of fire, which is interesting and totally unnecessary for most people. But you should have the right to do it in this country, particularly when you are inside the law. So the ATF is using this ugly 
ugly move where they are trying to go out there and scare somebody and then say, listen, you're not in any trouble. You just have to hand us your property that you paid for that we have not gone through due process to confiscate and we are trying to scare you into removing. This is unacceptable stuff. Okay. In the meantime, we have allegations that the Secret Service went out and actually tried to find the gun that Hunter Biden's girlfriend, who is his ex or who is his brother's uh, widow. Okay. So just do the math on that. He was sleeping with the woman who was married to his brother who died from cancer. And that woman got mad at him and threw his gun out in a dumpster, which was near a school and so on. And they couldn't find the gun and all of this. And so apparently there was a cover up. My friend, Stephen Stambalia, who is a, uh, an attorney that works on behalf of gun owners of America and also on behalf of just your own individual freedoms. He's a great guy. He was in our episode known as the machine gun lawyer. Stephen is, has sued the ATF, has sued the, uh, the FBI and has sued the secret service trying to get the records of the investigation to recover Hunter Biden's gun and was able to do so. In the meantime, you have these two agents and these are by far not the only ones. I actually had agents like this show up at my door. It wasn't a male and a female. That woman, by the way, if you look, she has a plate carrier on. I think her plate carrier has the plates backwards. It's it's facing outward. I've only seen that one time. It was an old school FBI agent who didn't understand how plates worked. And so he had it set up like it was a like a satellite dish. And I asked him what it was. And he was like, oh, I thought like when the bullets hit it, they like spin out and come back off. So um, what I'm getting at is that it's a convexed and concaved plate. That means that it forms around your body and it's supposed to go outward, sort of the way that your chest would and your belly would. And instead she has it backwards. So she has the, she has the convex side towards her body and concaved away from her. Like it's going to be receiving something in a bowl. Very funny, really ridiculous looking if you're a kit person, but it just shows you sort of the lack of professionalism and that they're going to put this chick out here. And I say chick because she's a young female telling a man who runs a business that was able to cite from the driveway the type of shoes that the agent walking up on him was wearing because he is deeply involved in this industry. In the meantime, you've got this gal wearing her body armor backwards. I'm sure this guy was not not unaware of the fact that she was a clown. And uh, and if you act this way, it's really bad news for America. It really is just one of the worst things. Um, of course, the media response to what's going on here is very specific and uh, it's very partisan. As you've seen from The Federalist and from Vivek Ramaswamy, we're hearing one side of the story. This is a smokescreen. This is a problem. I want to show you a, a quick response from Glenn Greenwald, formerly of The Intercept, independent journalist. He has a tweet up here showing a, a retweet from CNN. And uh, we'll play that video from CNN because I want you to hear it as well. But he said, who would have ever guessed that CNN would immediately bring in a former federal prosecutor who worked for Pret Bahara? Uh, to defend Hunter Biden and the Biden DOJ. It's so out of character for them relying on United States security state or U.S. security state officials to defend the Biden administration. And his point in this case is, is that who would imagine that you would find this uh, this Biden administration being covered for by CNN of all places? Of course they would. So here's the CNN video. This is about a minute and 25 seconds. I do want you guys to see it. Uh, this is a woman telling you that nobody would ever deal with uh, real consequences for what she's talking about. And I'll tell you that that's sort of true. But let's let's uh, let's play the video real quick. Let's pull this up. So this is from CNN uh, yesterday. Obviously, you're already hearing a lot of shouting. Oh, sweetheart deal. Oh, this. Oh, that. None of us really knows the details of the possible charges here and exactly what was agreed to as part of this plea, Jennifer. But how do how does one assess whether this is the type of deal that a normal person, not a president's child, 
would get in this circumstance. So you would look to other similar cases, right? So on the gun uh, form charge, it's very, very standard for someone in this situation who lies on the form because they're an addict. The gun is long gone, apparently only had it for a couple of weeks. It's very standard in these circumstances for this diversion to occur and to, to wipe out the charges, assuming he successfully completes it. So that's totally standard. Mm -hmm. And the tax fraud is, is similar as well. I mean, he paid those taxes back a long time ago. That's something that DOJ takes very, very seriously when negotiating these deals. And I'll also say that Hunter Biden was an addict at the time. And so there was discussion of this back when this investigation got going. When you're talking about a drug addict, you have to think about whether you can prove the mens rea. If this goes to trial, is he going to be able to undercut their case about whether he knowingly and willfully didn't pay his taxes? So given all of that and given similar cases with tax fraud, this is not a sweetheart deal. It's a deal. I think it's a good deal for Hunter Biden in that he will stay out of prison and end up with only two misdemeanors on his record. But it's certainly not a sweetheart deal out of line with what happened in the rest of the country. Okay, so it's a deal and it's good for Hunter Biden, but it's not a sweetheart deal. Did you hear what she just said? It's good for Hunter Biden, but it's not a sweetheart deal. That's what a sweetheart deal is. Um, of course, it's a sweetheart deal. Of course, it's a deal that doesn't even allow for him to uh, to have a misdemeanor. I'm sorry, for him to have a felony on his record. He's going to plead guilty to misdemeanors. So I want us to just, just think, Calvin Ball here, let's just think about people who have had tax evasion problems and have done jail time for it. How about Wesley Snipes? How about Martha Stewart, who also had to pay back taxes but was you know, convicted of insider trading uh, and, did, and did prison time for it? How about my friend uh, Dinesh D'Souza, who gave a basically a verbal agreement that he would reimburse somebody if they wanted to put $10,000 into a Senate campaign and they went after him for two $10,000 reimbursements of donations, saying that he was basically trying to skirt campaign finance laws. And he did something like six or eight months with five years of federal probation. He did six or eight months in a community facility where he had to go check himself in during the week, um, which was essentially a, a jail experience for him. That kind of stuff is sort of the opposite of what we just heard. And uh, and yet it's not a sweetheart deal. Right. So this is Calvin Ball. This is what happens when you make up the rules as you go along. I'm going to show you another thing from CNN politics right here. This is uh, them saying that Hunter Biden to plead guilty on federal tax charges, striking a deal on the gun charges, blah, blah, blah. There's a bunch of videos on him of this. What we were going to see is essentially they're claiming that he owed at least $100,000 in federal taxes for 2017 and then again in 2018, but he didn't pay them on the deadlines. And so the judge will have the final say whether or not they accept the deal. The plea deals have been, uh, you know, going to reverberate through the 2024 presidential and they've already jump-started criticisms of the Republicans, of course, right? Because they are basically trying to say, they're trying to tell you that we've got this one system of, of, of uh, judicial punishment, this one system of people facing justice and everybody has to account. And that's why Hunter Biden, on one hand, he is getting, you know, he's going to be serving no time and he had to pay back the money he owed. And uh, his gun charge is going to be dealt with, probably going through a drug rehab program, something like that. He's in a pretrial diversionary phase, so he doesn't even have to have the felony. And, and that's why President Trump has to face charges on 31 counts of classified and or defense materials that were at his house and six additional counts of potential conspiracy to hide those crimes. So that's what they're trying to line up. They're saying Hunter Biden, you know, he's going to account for his sins. Now Trump has to do the same, except these are not the same types of deals. You haven't seen a SWAT team go and take Hunter Biden down 
and arraign him. We didn't see him go out. Why is that? Because he's uh, he was working alongside with the DOJ that he went in and participated in the interviews he had to when, when daddy is in charge of the uh, of the deep state there that that is actually going after him. I don't know. Is it like the new whistleblower allegations? And I won't even call them that. That's not accurate. Let's call them the um, cover your ass allegations that Steve D'Antuano, the former assistant director of the FBI's Washington field office, is coming out with under sworn testimony to the oversight committees. What did he say? He says, we probably should have sought consent. We likely would have got it. We probably should have waited for Trump's lawyers to show up for the search warrant at Miralago. We probably would have got consent there. It would have been a reasonable thing to expect that we would have had cooperation instead of doing what we did. And he apparently said, I don't think this is a good idea. And then he was overruled by a DOJ official, right? And he was overruled by his own underlings who were running the national security side of the Washington field office. This should be a very big concern. When the top guy at the office is overruled by those underneath him and the DOJ, we have a serious problem. We are not playing by the same rules. Now, I will tell you, because I want to present this in a fair and and uh, um, a least amount of bias that I can, it's worth looking at this article from The Reload. And this says, Hunter Biden cops to gun charges gets diversion program. That's what we've just been talking about. Uh, this is folks over at TheReload.com talking about gun stuff. And what they're interested in is the actual details of the deal. Again, this was released yesterday, um, halfway through the day. It says, the second information charges the defendant with a firearms offense, namely one count of possession of a firearm by a person who is an unlawful user or addicted to a controlled substance in violation of 18 U.S.C. 922, as we stated earlier, subsection E3 and 924-22. These are two different um Sections. Those are two different felonies that we're talking about under 922 and 924. And the defendant has agreed to pretrial diversion uh, with respect to the firearm. Now, the only thing that's somewhat interesting in this is apparently it will make it so that he is not able to own a firearm for the rest of his life. Apparently, he had a Colt Cobra, which is actually a very nice revolver, um, a 38 that he had that was dumped in by his brother's widow and lover. And uh, thrown into a dumpster at a grocery store, which was near a school and all these other kind of things. It was recovered by a man looking for recyclables. Uh, that'd be kind of a score. That's probably like a, a over $1,000 handgun. So uh, they're making reference here in this article that he lied on this federal form. As I said, the 4473, the question about habitual drug use. So that would be a 1001 violation. So you have now three felonies basically lined up. And what they are saying is that he is likely to not own a firearm. Even if he completes this, he'll never be able to legally own a firearm again. That is at least of some consolation to those of us that are in this space that know that if we were to do the same thing, something pretty awful would befall us and we would lose our gun rights. We probably would end up in jail. And that essentially has been the argument on the right, the left making an alternative argument. Um, and so the question then becomes, why is he getting this unfair deal or this fair deal that's uh, beneficial to him? And so let's go to U.S. News and World Report, because one of the things that the Democrats are going to point to is that the United States attorney in the District of Delaware, I believe there are 94 federal districts, and this particular individual was sworn in and appointed by President Donald Trump. He's a Trump holdover. Now, you first have to understand what the United States attorney's system looks like. They are political appointees and they serve at the pleasure of the president and they are confirmed by the Senate. Um, every president, when the, uh, when the regimes change hands, they basically get a resignation. This is pretty standard practice. The United States attorney for every given district will submit their resignation to the president um, should the, resident, uh, the president choose to accept that resignation. 
And, uh, and David Weiss was no exception in this case, I'm sure. He's out of the District of Delaware. He's the top prosecutor. He gets to make, you know, go, no, go. He's the sort of guy that uh, makes the decisions. And then the people on the front lines are, in fact, um, you know, career employees, and their jobs will span presidencies. Those are known as assistant United States attorneys or AUSAs. So I just want the structure to be clear. And in this case, David Weiss was appointed in 2018 under Trump. And he was the uh, the guy who got to stick around in order to appear in a non-partial way. We found out that um, that the Biden administration was going to keep him on to continue handling this investigation. This was into the laptop and so on and so forth. And so this was their appearance or illusion that there is, in fact, fairness. And I don't know that this is the case. So I kind of dug into it a little bit. We want to know this. Uh, what's the story? This guy used to be a private partner. He was working for Dwayne Morris LLP, which is a law firm in the area uh, outside of Philadelphia, as, as I understand it. And so I looked into it. They have their own pack where they actually can donate as partners and as, as employees, and they can throw money around to various political causes as they see fit. This is from OpenSecrets.org. And uh, so for 2022, which is going to be the most recent political cycle that we care about, here's a breakdown of how the PAC's uh, the pack from Dwayne Morris, this is uh, this is David Weiss's former employer, moved money around. And it's pretty even, actually. It's 54% to Republicans, 45, almost 46% to Democrats, uh, and to the tune of just over $100,000 during that cycle. So that in and of itself shows us that we're not talking about someone that's you know overtly partisan. They are giving money basically to some national Republicans. They gave some to some state Democrats. That makes sense where they were at. And so, you know, all of these things seem on the level, but what about this? This is from True Social. This is Tom Finton, who is the president of Judicial Watch. I want to bring this sucker up. I'm going to read a truth that he put out. This came out yesterday, and uh, it came out last night, actually, while I was doing uh, show prep. And Tom Finton says, the United States attorneys are usually nominated and confirmed only with the approval of, quote unquote, home state U.S. senators. The U.S. attorney, David Weiss, who gave Hunter Biden the scandalous plea deal on behalf of the Biden administration, was appointed by Donald Trump on the specific recommendation of the two senators, the Democratic senators from Delaware. Weiss had previously been appointed as an acting or interim U.S. attorney for Obama during the years 2009 to 2011. And he says, the more you know, in sort of a um, snarky way, uh, which, is, which is sort of the way that you deal with things on social media. But I think Tom Fitton's point is very well received. This is a guy who at least was considered neutral or not unfavorable by the Obama administration. We keep seeing people that are holdovers from the Obama administration that are now playing ball um, in this current Biden administration. There are a lot of the same names, a lot of the same faces. So many people are calling this Obama's third term, and I don't think they're wrong. I don't think they bargained on a President Trump interrupting them at all. I think they expected it was going to be Hillary Clinton doing this for another eight years. So they would have had that. And then who knew they had to run Joe Biden because they couldn't get Hillary into office. So we are dealing with a guy who at least um, has the potential of being somewhat more ideologically aligned with the Democrat Party. I did want to bring this up since I talked about it. This is uh, Dinesh D'Souza's press release from the FBI.gov stating their, their proud sort of uh, experience in getting him sentenced to five years of federal probation, eight months in the first year of that had to be at a community confinement center. Uh, my understanding of it is that he was actually teaching and educating people while he was there. I'm sure it was a formative experience for Dinesh. And when we spoke about firearms, he's very, very cautious because he has uh, this felony conviction that he had to plead guilty to. He um, 
he can't have a gun. He can't know where a gun is. And so if there's a firearm in his house owned by his wife, who's a legal owner, and she and I have talked about guns, then he has to be extremely cautious that he doesn't know where it is because you are actually in sort of this strange place. Uh, I'm seeing now that Eric has just joined the chat. So our buddy, Eric, one of our moderators, uh, a little bit late getting in here. Thanks for joining us again, folks. One of the questions was asked, if you are, if you are buying a weapon for a spouse, can you buy that uh, for them? And the answer is really complicated. If they are actually going to be the receiving party and you know that you are buying it exclusively for that person. So let's say a husband wants to buy a gun for a wife. The wife has to come in and fill out the 4473. However, if the husband buys it for himself and takes it home and puts it in his own safe, and then a few weeks later says, this would be a fantastic gift for my wife. It is now about to be Mother's Day or her birthday or Christmas, and I would love for her to have a concealed carry weapon. Then he can give her that weapon and no 4473 has to take place unless you're in a state where these things have to be documented. So there are two ways to go about that. This was a question out of the chat, and I wanted to make sure I addressed it. You can buy things for yourself, and I've done this before, where I bought a weapon, took it home, literally held it for a day, decided this gun's not for me, I thought it was cool, I've walked around with it for a couple hours, it's not gonna be my thing, and I turned around and sold it to a coworker who was not a prohibited person, and they wanted to buy it for cash on the barrel, that's a Texas thing, I've done that maybe hundreds of times, where I've either bought a gun, taken guns as a payment, I actually took uh, a gun as a collateral for a truck at one point when I was selling an old, you know, crappy truck. So you can do a lot of different things. It depends on what your mindset is when the weapon enters your hand, whether or not you are the original, the, the intended user of that gun, and then you're welcome to change your mind. This is still America. So I want you to know, should you have to answer questions about that, how you frame your answer is very important. You have to articulate it in the way that is accurate for your situation. If you bought the gun for yourself and then later decided to give it as a gift, so be it. That's a thing you can do. Uh, and many of us do that. Many people will go and buy a car, right? Uh, they'll buy it for themselves, and then they'll decide, you know what, I'm not really a Lexus SUV kind of guy, but my wife really is. This is hers. Or she drives it and says, hey, I want to take this uh, take this vehicle. Also acceptable. Your, your husband or your wife can buy a weapon, and then you can pick it up and decide, this is a thing that I really like instead. Can I have it? Yes, you can. Do you have to change ownership at that point? No. And are you a straw purchaser? You are not. Be very, very cautious about the way you phrase it. Um, many people will get themselves into trouble by not phrasing it properly. But that is the way that you would explain that sort of situation. Like you said, worth your knowledge. We're here to educate as well as to uh, promote sort of your, your use of your constitutional liberties and defend you in some ways against the way that it has to be articulated in a federal scenario. Um, I did have a, a, a pull up. It doesn't really add anything of value to any of us right now, but I did actually have Andy McCabe's deal. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Michael Flynn because he experienced sort of a, a an equally ridiculous thing. This is a false statement charge that took him three years to resolve and a lot of money. So we'll pull this up on the screen right now. This is coming from Vox, the left-wing outlet. They have uh, a full transcript of the statement of the offense and the charging documents that have to do with General Michael Flynn. Again, the violation for him was 18 USC 1001, false statements. And we covered that fairly, fairly extensively earlier, but this is any false statements in his case. What they allege was, and I think it's really worth noting, that he made materially false statements and omissions during an interview to the FBI on January 24th, 2017 in Washington, DC. And at the time of the interview, this was the part that was really critical, the time of the interview, the FBI had an open investigation into the government of Russia's efforts to interfere with the 2016 presidential election. 
Many of us remember this is the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. And uh, the fact that he came in and made materially false statements, according to them, and omissions impeded an otherwise material impact on the FBI's ongoing investigation. They are saying that those false statements occurred because he had conversations in December of 2018. And then three days into the Trump administration, he was interviewed by the FBI on a voluntary basis and made false statements about the asks and the decisions that he had with um, with a diplomat named uh, Kislyak out of Russia. Now, here's the fun thing about how presidential cycles work between the end of December and the beginning of or the middle of January when a president's inauguration happens. I imagine there has to be an incredible flurry of activity. Imagine starting a new job, moving, uh, resettling yourself, getting office space, all the things that go on with this. And you're going to try to tell me that one or two meetings that you had and some off sort of political discussion you had with someone that you knew is going to be grounds for you lying to the FBI if you don't have a, a strong memory of it. I've got to imagine that General Flynn was stretched to the limit during that time. And so you're going to have to worry about whether or not you can actually make that claim, whether he has the mens rea, as this lady mentioned on CNN, that he was intentionally going after uh, you know a false statement to mislead the FBI. And, uh, and that's why they ended up withdrawing it. Now, Flynn's case took multiple years, over three years, to get rid of. Now he's suing the FBI and the, the U.S. federal government over this stuff. And the reason why it took three years is because after the DOJ said, you know what, this is a crappy prosecution, uh, Trump was able to lean on a couple of people probably and tell them, look, this is garbage. What are you doing here? This was a, a uh, Obama holdover investigation trying to stop the incoming president, and they agreed. And so they withdrew charges saying that we've actually sort of come to the bottom of our, our questions about the Russia investigation. And, you know, there was no material investigation. We've closed it. It didn't uh, interrupt anything that we had to do. Our original statement is no longer true. He did not interrupt that investigation. And the judge, whose name was Emmett Sullivan, who's a, uh, a uh, U.S. circuit judge in D.C., was like, oh, well, I'm not going to allow you to close this out. And so he fought this tooth and nail until President Trump eventually pardoned him. That's worth noting. This is the kind of uh, ridiculous double standard that we see. Hunter Biden accused of a million dollars in back taxes. He's able to settle it with $200,000, it sounds like. There's allegations that somebody else even paid that money because supposedly he didn't have it. And so they bought a favor with the, the Bidens doing that. He's making millions of dollars running around the globe, picking up bags of cash in Ukraine and maybe in uh, China. And now they have the Oversight Committee looking into 150 suspicious activity reports. Uh, but on top of all that, Michael Flynn really was a bad guy because he may or may not have lied um, to the FBI, according to them, on this one thing. I want to pull up. Michael Flynn's Wikipedia, you guys are mentioning that Tracy Beans has fantastic threads on this. I 100% agree on that. Tracy Beans has done a fantastic job covering the situation. Let's just do a quick version so that you are forearmed as you walk into the world and you want to discuss the, uh, the ridiculous nature of this. Michael Flynn joined the Army in 1981 when I was born. Michael Flynn served this country for as long as I've been on the planet. And during that time, they talk about all the different places that he held, uh, all the different commands he was assigned to at Fort Bragg, the 82nd Airborne. He was part of the uh, JSOC, the Joint Special Operations Command. He was uh, deployed for operation that invaded Grenada. Um, he was also part of the uh, Uphold Democracy part in Haiti, where we were doing humanitarian relief. He was part of Schofield Barracks, which is interesting because that's where Obama uh, came out of, as I understand, in that area. Uh, he was in, at the Army Intelligence Center in uh, Fort Huachuca in Arizona. He spent a lifetime doing work. Not to mention, he served in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence in uh, September of 2011. He was promoted to Lieutenant General. He served there under Barack Obama. 
obviously spanned multiple presidencies, including Reagan, including Clinton, uh, both Bushes, right? And then also the Obama presidency uh, and, and finally got out in 2014. It's worth noting that he was the top guy at the DIA, right? So he ran the DIA as the director over there for a two-year period, and then he got out and retired. One of the things that's interesting on this Wikipedia page, and I'll highlight it right here for those of you who are looking on Rumble, you'll see it says in October, sorry, in June of 2013, Michael Flynn became the first United States officer, they're talking about United States military officer, to be allowed inside of the Russian military intelligence headquarters in Moscow. That's the GRU. Um, that's kind of impressive. That's why he was nominated as one of Trump's foreign policy and national security advisors. He had these connections and these back channels are exactly why you hire someone like a Michael Flynn to come in and work with you. So this was a fundamentally unfair treatment, I would say, of Michael Flynn. And in the meantime, you've got people like Hunter Biden getting away with not just being a crackhead, but also ditching his uh, his gun in a, uh, you know, because his girlfriend, who's his brother's ex, his dead brother's wife was uh, throwing it away. It's even the mouthful of that sort of soap opera drama is is beyond me. Um, it's like a gun owner's nightmare or a gun store owner's nightmare to have that guy come in and buy something from you. Uh, we'll show this last little piece here. This is the uh, the judge, like I said, who took a parting shot. And this was as recently as 2020 when they had to throw the case away. He said that uh, the DOJ was trying to materially change the facts of the case. And that's why they were able to let it go. This is a judge who theoretically has uh, no say no say whatsoever in the outcome. His job is just to mediate the two parties. And uh, he was trying to argue that they were creating a newly minted definition of materiality, of materiality rather. And that's why uh, they should continue the prosecution, even though the DOJ was dropping it against Michael Flynn. Really, really unfair stuff. Pretty awful. We're also hearing that Hunter Biden was able to settle some of his uh, child support issues. He was originally supposed to pay $20,000 a month. We know that he was paying $50,000 a month in rent to his dad for this like mediocre house. There's obviously something going on in that situation, but uh, he can't afford $20,000 for the child support. It was reduced to $5,000 a month, which is pretty incredible stuff considering the guy was making $87,000 a month when he was having babies like this. So, you know, just an interesting thing. Last little piece I want to show you. This is a, um, this is a, a piece of, uh, rather, this is a job um, announcement on usajobs.gov for the assistant United States attorney. I just want to show you what it takes to be a assistant United States attorney. This is not like a super highly paid legal job starting off in a salary of 66,000 and a senior person can make up to 176,000, which is the federal maximum on the GS scale. Uh, this one in particular is talking about McAllen, Texas, but they're all over the country. And what it tells you is, is they have to have a security clearance. Uh, it's a non-supervisory position. They have to have special sensitivities when it comes to the, uh, the types of suitabilities they do. So they do a background check, obviously, and it's open to all U.S. citizens and U.S. nationals. Uh, this is the piece that I really wanted you guys to see. Conditions of employment, the requirements. They need a, uh, a Juris Doctorate degree. They have to be a lawyer, and they have to be an active member of any bar in the United States. It doesn't matter where you are. You must be a U.S. citizen or U.S. national. There's a background check, credit check, tax check, uh, check and drug test. This is standard for federal service. The selective service, if you are a male, um, is applicable. And here's the required qualifications. They're looking for someone with a JD who's an active member of the bar at least one year of post 
JD, legal experience, or other relevant experience. You could have been a paralegal most likely, and they do hire brand new attorneys. Ideally, they're looking for at least four years of civil litigation for this particular announcement, but we are not talking about senior attorneys. We're not talking about people who make a ton of money. And so when we go uh, after the sort of the United States attorneys that are on the line, the, the AUSAs, this is the one who cut this deal. I don't think he's a guy to blame. This was brought up in a Twitter space. And um, his name is Derek Hines. So there's his LinkedIn right there. Derek Hines actually clerked under judges that were appointed by George W. Bush. Um, he was the special counsel to Louis Free. Louis Free was a famously conservative FBI director. And for all the ties that he may have to the Biden family, um, it sounds like they're pretty up and up. I don't think this is the kind of guy that is the issue. He is apparently the one of the senior uh, types in the Eastern District of Pennsylvania and uh, was the one who actually came forward with these this deal or helped put this deal together. Um, I think we put the blame where it lies, which is squarely on those who are at the top of the chain. And the top of the chain, many people think that Merrick Garland is the guy that runs the DOJ or the Ministry of Justice, as my buddy Garrett calls it. But let's be real specific. This is the person that runs the DOJ. Um, there's plenty of information about this. If you want to follow Cash Patel, you have to follow him on True Social. He is um, one of the board members there, and he is not on Twitter. You can follow him um, at Cash, K-A-S-H, uh, a good follow, full of great information, a friend of mine, friend of our show. And uh, this is Lisa Monaco. Lisa Monaco, born in 1968, an American attorney, former federal prosecutor. She's a national security official who served as the 39th and current deputy attorney general since April of 21. So she was brought up under the Biden administration. She is a member of the Democrat Party. If you want to know what the deep state looks like, if you want to know what the deep state is, the deep state is Lisa Monaco. There's no other way around it. She graduated from Harvard and, uh, it looks like she's basically been working at the DOJ for most of her adult life. I think she was about 27 or 28 when she first came in. She got the uh, she went to the New York Bar Association in 1998. Looks like she graduated from law school in maybe 96. I could be wrong about that. Don't hold me to quote on this. Uh, but she did some clerkship, and then she started working under Janet Reno in 1998. This woman has spent her most most of her professional experience working under DOJ and spanned multiple presidents, as you can imagine. She's a Democrat. And in many ways, she's described as an activist. Don't take my word for it. Go listen to what Cash Patel has to say about her. And none of them are very favorable, by the way. He has nothing nice to say about them. Uh, those of you that are sitting in the chat right now, I see Ryan telling me that there are 320 of you watching at the moment. But we only got 60 people that have hit the like button. So please hit that like button. If you are uh, just finding our show for the first time, please hit the subscribe. If you are watching and uh, you're watching on the replay or you happen to be listening on the audio version of it, uh, by all means, give us that five-star review. We really do appreciate it. Tell us what you liked. Tell us what you found out, what that was news to you. And uh, let's keep bumping those things up. We've cleared the 550 mark. And my buddy, producer Phil, would love to see this thing hit 1,000 by the end of the year. I think that would be just a really an interesting um, mile marker. But really, it's just all about you guys in this case. This is your doing. You guys are the ones who are pushing the show forward. And you're moving the envelope for us. I do want to read one of those five-star reviews right now. This one is by CLK and a bunch of numbers, 32, 11, 23. CLK, you'll have to uh, send me a DM and tell me what that means. It says, brilliant. Out of the darkness comes a light. Kyle and his frequent guests shine the bright light of truth on an organization that has not only lost its way, but has become a hammer to anything it's used to stand for. 
Thank you, Kyle, for having the courage to step away from this dysfunctional band of bullies and expose them all to us. Thank you, CLK, for the five-star review, and thank you for listening. I do appreciate it. This kind of support is what makes this show happen. Uh, between that and our good sponsors, they are showing up because you are showing up, and that's why we're able to do what we're doing. It's been a major boon to my family. It has been a thing that uh, that has really changed the game for us. I'm working out of my house. I'm doing this sort of prep. I spend all my time in the information war, and I do it because of folks like you that are watching. So again, hit that uh, that five-star review and um, go ahead and leave us a comment on there. I'd love to be able to read yours next. And I'm very, very appreciative for all of you that joined me in the live chat. As you guys can see, if you're watching on Rumble, it is streaming. It's been streaming the entire time. I get some of the questions out of there. I read them all after the fact, too. And if you have something else that we didn't cover in the show or something that you'd like to reflect on, put it in the comments below. You can simply go down there. Uh, you have to scroll below the live chat if you're watching live. And if you're watching the replay, you know where to go. Go ahead and leave those, uh, those comments. I review them a day or two afterwards. And sometimes they can help us form answers that we need to put on for the next show. Um, if there's something that's pressing and you don't get a chance to ask it, please put it down in there. I do look for them. And uh, sometimes we also will cover these on Twitter spaces. So if you're not following me on Truth or you're not following me on Twitter, you can do so at Kyle Serafin. And I do appreciate those follows. We're almost at 88,000 people following those accounts. Uh, I don't know how social media works, but that seems like an awful lot of people. That is a, a college football stadium built to capacity and, uh, and I am truly humbled that that many people of you out there are seeing what I'm putting out in the world, my, my snarky thoughts and some of my, my deeper reflections and some of the, uh, the news that we break. And you're thinking, this is a guy that I want to hear more from. So thank you so much for all the followers. Uh, today is Wednesday. I will see you again on Friday for Friendly Friday. We got Steve Friend coming on. I tasked him with watching the Durham testimony. I'm going to watch it. We'll bring you guys some reflections on that as two guys who worked for the FBI and what we think. Um, thank you so much for watching the Kyle Serafin Show. Folks, we will see you on Friday. Have a good, safe uh, next half of the week. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter and True Social at Kyle Serafin.